What's going on, Lessonators? We're going to need you to hold on to your headphones because we've got another fantastic episode coming your way. Today's show is like a burst of sunlight, warming up a world that sometimes gets caught up in conformity. Get ready to meet an extraordinary guest who is all about embracing individuality in a world that sometimes just wants us to fit in. Joining us today is the incredible Kayla Taylor. She's not just a writer, she's a force of nature. With passion and dedication, Kayla has ventured into the realm of advocacy and research, shedding light on the issues that touch the lives of families everywhere. Kayla's journey started with a personal experience that turned into a mission. She's here to share her story of how a pivotal moment involving her own child being bullied propelled her into becoming a champion for change, and she hasn't looked back since. Today's conversation takes us deep into the challenges and complexities of caring for children with unique needs. It's about recognizing the strength and resilience that families embody as they tackle these challenges head on. So if you're a dedicated lessonator seeking inspiration, if you're a parent navigating the maze of raising exceptional children, or if you're simply someone curious about how embracing individuality can change the world, this episode is tailor-made just for you. Prepare to be uplifted, motivated, and reminded that the world becomes a better place when we celebrate the unique stories that make us who we are. Let's get into it. Welcome to What's the Lesson, the podcast that takes you on a deep dive into the world of character development. We're Jill and Mary, the dynamic duo behind Girls Mentorship. We foster self-confidence, self-esteem, and self-awareness for tween and teen girls, along with their invaluable network of supporters through events, resources, and mentorship. Picture us as your coaches walking alongside you through the world of social-emotional learning and think of this podcast as your own personal roadmap. We'll support you in discovering obstacles that might be holding you back and gain clarity on why this work is a game changer, not only for your growth, but for the next generation of leaders as well. Alongside our fantastic guests, we're here to share knowledge about how you can change old patterns of behavior and make sense of those WTF moments, shifting them into lessons that can drastically improve your life instead. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a superhero stay-at-home mom, or someone fueled by boundless curiosity, our mission is crystal clear. To supercharge your emotional intelligence and sprinkle the magic of SEL into every corner of your life. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the show. What's the lesson? I'm sitting here with my co-host. If you didn't recognize the (laughs) voice by this point in time, Um, we're trying something new today. Today's our first recording on a different platform. And I want to bring that up because new newness outside of our comfort zone, something that we've never done before is uncomfortable. And we're fumbling around with different buttons and making sure that we're not screwing anything up. So I just, I want to let you, the listener, and you, the listener with a family, know it's okay to try something new. And it's okay to not be good at it. I also think we were so used to how we did our previous platform, our podcast platform, and it was, you know, we we were new-ish to it, and then we got 
more comfortable and we became experts. And when you become an expert. Experts at Zoom. I know. (laughs) When you become an expert in something and you try something new, you have to go back to being a beginner. So we are basically like the training wheels are on. We're slowly going to be taking them off and seeing how we can ride this bike. <laughs> but all the bells and whistles are on this bike. It's Do you, cool. There's like um, cards in the spokes and there's a basket on the front and there's a, a bell. And <laughs> we didn't have that with our last podcast platform. So true. we're really excited to hop on this sucker. And we're doubly excited for the guest we have on today. Um, she is an incredible author of a book that We feel like every parent should read at some point along their parenting journey, especially in 2023, because the subject of bullying comes up a lot. If your child is different, if they stand out and they don't fit in, if they have qualities or personality traits that seem to go against the grain, we can think that something is wrong with them. And the matter of the fact is your child is unique and special and they're unique characteristics are their superpowers and we need to start seeing them as their superpowers so we can really come alongside them and make them feel like their superpowers as well not that they're the black sheep or that they should be singled out in any way shape or form and I think this guest is going to be perfect talking about that subject in particular so wherever you are as long as it's not driving can you please put your hands together and give a nice warm welcome to the one and only Kayla Taylor. Hello, Kayla. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jill and Mary and everyone else listening. Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful and I really appreciate that introduction. I think this will be a great conversation. We are so excited to have you and I know we're going to get into it, but I just have to acknowledge your voice. When we first jumped on um, to say hello to one another, I was like, she has such a great TV radio voice. So thank you for <laughs> thank you for um, making all of my. I'm like, wow, you have such a good voice. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, or maybe if you need nope. m- meditations or anything like that. I'm like, I would totally listen to your voice time and time <laughs> again. So these listeners are in for a real treat. Well, no, no one's ne- ever told me that before. And um, I guess along the lines of your growth mindset and being willing to try new things, I guess I shouldn't dismiss the idea <laughs> reflexively. But no, I, I never I never thought that before. Well, I'm paying you a compliment. It is beautiful. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. So let's, let's dive right in. Um, you're an author, which is a feat in and of itself. And right before we hit record, we were asking about your children and you said you had many. Do you include this book in the children that you have given birth to? <laughs> Absolutely. Good. This uh, was a labor of yes. love, like, like children are. And this book came wholly from the heart. I never intended to be a writer. I didn't go to get an MFA in writing. I I didn't do any of that, but I had an experience that I guess rocked my world and it actually awoke a great need in me. I saw firsthand how children are bullied and demeaned and dismissed, especially when they are different or unique. And I know we talk about gross mindset. I know we talk about appreciating others and tolerance and all that. But my experience was that in practice, that is not what we were experiencing. There are too many systems in place that that put kids on this path to being 
and I have air quotes here, normal Mm -hmm. and average and fitting in a box. And it's very hard when you have children who don't fit in the box to honor them. And I think it's hard when you do have children in a box, not just to go along with the status quo, because it's so easy to just let the systems tell you, oh, they should be great athletes. They should be good at math. They should be pretty or handsome. And there's a very narrow definition of what that is, right? Uh, I think you really have to make an effort to step out of that. And so I wrote this book mostly because I just felt like I learned so much in such a short period of time. We had a need. I had a child who was being bullied. We were dealing with anxiety. We were dealing with depression. We had a very huge need, so I did a ton of research. Not everybody will have this huge need, but the lessons I learned were so valuable, and I couldn't believe that they weren't more broadly known. Perhaps the way, the way you feel about social emotional learning in general. I mean, <laughs> yes. I wasn't taught them any of that stuff when I was little, and it is so imperative. I kind of I haven't said this before, but you know, we all read a book similar to What to Expect When You're Expecting, right? About what to do about those nine months, and what I realized when I was parenting is there's so much. I would rather have had a book that taught me how to honor my child's individuality, how when my kid messes up to help them repair the damage, how to have compassion, how to try new things. Um, There was so much that I wasn't taught that I tried, um, that I had to learn to support my kids. Uh, So I wrote this book to try and fill that void. Well, and the book itself is called Canaries Among Us. So will you do a little side tangent on the significance of the name and canaries itself? Because I think it's beautiful. They obviously stand out. So um, will you just take us down the path of why you felt naming it that was so poignant? Sure, sure. So early in my family's journey, I realized my child is highly sensitive uh, you might have talked about this on this podcast before. It's it's being spoken about a lot in the past few years. Uh, it's a trait studied by scientists like Elaine Aaron and others. And basically, highly sensitive people are known, have been scientifically shown to be more in tune with their environments and aware of various sensory stimuli like sounds, smells, touch. And in fact, fMRI scans show that certain people, about 20% of the population, process the senses more deeply in the brain. So the brains are wired a little differently. A common analogy that is used for these people are canary in the coal mines. Mm. So you've probably heard the phrase, and maybe you know what it means, but I had to learn a little bit. Up until about the end of the 1900s, miners would often take canaries down into the coal mines with them. Not just because they had a beautiful song to help keep them company, Mm. but because they too are highly sensitive, in their case, to toxins in the air. So if a canary stopped singing, the miners knew that they needed to flee the mine or they might be poisoned with carbon monoxide, which the humans couldn't smell. So I love this analogy because in this case, the canary's extra sense was beneficial not just to the canary, but to everybody associated with the canary. But ironically, in our world today, in modern times, when we talk about people being sensitive, it's usually in a pejorative sense. We usually consider them weak or overly emotional. It's pretty condescending the way we speak about sensitivities. But I love this analogy because it's a reminder that we should perhaps appreciate in and even celebrating people and their differences and their extra senses and their sensitivities rather than demeaning and dismissing them. You don't mind me saying, because my book covers a lot of topics, as you mentioned, learning differences. For me, 
the idea morphed not just from into the, you know, I didn't just encapsulate the trait of high sensitivity, but really any sort of difference. So for example, a kid with dyslexia. Yes, kids with dyslexia have wider visual perception modes, which can make reading harder. But on average, kids with dyslexia also notice bigger pictures more. They connect dots in ways other people don't see. They have strong social skills. They often have higher creativity. Uh, I could say something similar about kids with ADHD. Yes, they have trouble sitting in hard chairs, staring at whiteboards. But they actually do, despite the name, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, they um, are often able to hyper-focus, especially on areas of interest. They have great resilience, creativity, strong conversational skills, spontaneity. I could say some similar things about autism or really many, many traits that are or ways of being that are demeaned um, starting in preschool. And then, of course, once you teach kids to dismiss kids who are different and pathologize them and look at only their weaknesses and not celebrate their strengths, which I know you guys try and talk about a lot, lean into strengths, um, you miss a whole part of the child. And of course, there are a lot of repercussions to that. But if we can think more of the canary <laughs> and how beautiful they are and how interesting and really see their differences as strengths, I think the whole world could be a lot more interesting and we would have our kids would be a lot happier. I mean, it's an ideal world, right? It's almost like you're saying we when we don't understand something, we completely dismiss it. So it's there's a miss around even not giving ourselves the chance to learn more about why someone is different from us. And I think this conversation is so great on an entirely different level based on where we are as a culture. We're not understanding anyone's differences, let alone how they were born and who they they show up to be in their differences, Mm -hmm. which is what makes us such an incredible culture. And I just want to say I'm a mama and I just love listening to your heart and the reason why this book exists, because I totally agree around this parenting journey, that if you don't know how you as a mom and a person show up every single day for yourself to be better for the world, how are you going to do that with your children? And we have such a responsibility. And I'm not throwing any jabs or or judgment here, but there are parents out there that aren't working on themselves to be better, which unfortunately is what or or how they're parenting their kiddos. And Mary and I see this all the time where girls come in and parents are like, well, she's just shy and she doesn't know how to be with people. And, you know, we're a really outgoing family and we don't know about her. And it's like, wait a second, why are we putting her amongst anybody else like we need to be celebrating what is special and unique to her so this conversation for parents specifically is going to be so helpful first to turn the mirror on you to just check in with yourself how are you growing how are you learning how are you making sure that we are being kind and loving and Um, We're embracing uniqueness and individuality versus making other people feel like they have to be in a box or if it's not our box, then we're not going to talk to them. So thank you for 
for writing this because I know this book is going to help and I know it already has helped so many families and children. Well, and what's so interesting about what you just said, Jill, is yes, we are in a box, right? From elementary to middle to high to college. It's kind of the expected trajectory until you get to be about 25, 26, 27 and you start noticing your own unique differences from those around you. And it becomes more of a pain point for you to fit in rather than stand out or not speak up instead of use your voice to advocate for yourself. And that's exactly, I won't speak for anybody else, but that's exactly what happened to me in terms of then needing to go back and undo the programming that I was gifted with throughout my childhood and the things that I thought were just the way the world worked until I started to really feel some resistance and like this wasn't how I felt or this wasn't how I wanted to be treated and or to treat others. So, I mean, there there is a point of reckoning for a lot of people in terms of realizing that their uniqueness is what makes them special and how they should embrace that. Isn't that interesting? I just agree on all your points about the unlearning we have to do. You know, we're talking a lot about supporting kids, but if we don't really look at ourselves, how can we role model for them? You know, I'll say I actually worked very hard growing up to fit in that box, and I was somewhat successful at that. And I, I'm not proud of that. When I'm done talking, you'll you'll see I'm not bragging. Uh, my kids couldn't even fit in a box if they tried, so that's why I had to go down this path. But I was able to. I fit in a box. I played the sports people wanted me to play. I went to schools people wanted me to go to. I got jobs people wanted me to get. I got grades people wanted me to get. And I think, you know, what you're talking about, Mary, I hit about 25 and I realized, wait, where, where's the path? I did everything people told me to do. And <laughs> it's not here. And, and where did the path disintegrate? What, I what I do I happy. do now? I don't understand. And more than that, I actually, because I only started to consider that in my late 20s, did I realize, oh my gosh, I am so behind on the work I need to do. Because in my effort to do all these things that other people wanted me to do, and I had gone to grad school. I mean, I had done a lot of work, but I didn't know who I was. I had taken, for example, I didn't take certain classes because I was worried that they would give me a bad grade. I didn't take certain jobs because maybe I was worried about what other people would think. I mean, for all I know, who knows, maybe I'm highly creative. Maybe I would have been a great artist. But, you know, unfortunately, we live in a culture that does not take artistry seriously, despite it being, you know, a genius thing to do. Right. Um, I mean, it saves lives. I can tell you why I think that. But it didn't even allow myself to consider that. I think now I know I am highly curious about neurology and how brains work and what makes people tick and the actual science behind that. But here I am like in my late 40s and 50s now learning about that. I could have dedicated my life to doing something really interesting, right? And so uh, I guess this is a long way of saying I, I totally agree with you. And we're talking about supporting kids, but think of all we could have done if we were encouraged to explore the things that were different about us than to try and fit in. Well, and isn't that the point, right? You are, you have dedicated your life to something incredible, whether you did it when you were 10 or whether you were 50. <laughs> Agreed. Our 
our point, our whole reason that we feel like we're on this planet, our entire existence and purpose, though, is to now reach our hand back and bridge that gap. So they don't have to take as long to learn the lessons that we learned and they can find what lights their soul on fire a lot sooner than we were able to find it. Right. It doesn't mean that we're not going to face hard days or that we're not going to have certain regrets or or or. However, it's like, man, you're right. What if I was able to start this work when I was 18 and I could have a voice amongst 18 year olds who came alongside me and wanted the same outcomes that I wanted? Now I'm 35 and 18 year olds roll their eyes at me because I'm a millennial and they're a Gen Z. And how could we possibly (laughs) understand anything about one another? Right. And it's not that at all. There's so much that we have in common to where I want to reach my hand back and say, honey, you don't have to make that mistake. And if you do, it's okay. Let me help pick you up and dust you off because we got the rebound effect a lot faster now than we've ever had it before. And here's why. Absolutely. And along those lines, you know, so you're suggesting there's an increase in understanding. I would say there's also an increase in passion when you explore your differences. And there's an increase in joy when we all appreciate one another's differences. I mean, it's really boring just to standardize yourself, to strip away all the things that are interesting, to put a shiny lacquer on top of us in in a pretty sheen and to focus on that versus maybe strip all that off and look at all the bumps and the grooves and the things that are real and complex and interesting and appreciating that about other people. To me now, like those things that might have seemed nitty gritty and maybe a little unflattering before, to me, those are as exciting and fun and joyous. And I really, I really enjoy that. And I enjoy being around others who like exploring those things. Too. I love that. Yep. 100%. Couldn't agree with you anymore. And I know when we first started this conversation that you were you were mentioning you in your parenting journey struggling with one or a couple of your children and the reason for starting this book. Can you take us to what happened with your kiddos? I know you mentioned bullying, but I I want to paint the picture for our listeners if they do have a child that is unique and different. And they're trying to figure out, okay, hey, I really, or I can find myself in this story. Maybe my experience is different, but I want to hear what Kayla did to support her child in those hard times. Because as a parent, that's all we're trying to do is how do we make our children still feel special and important and not allow other people to take them down. So can you kind of talk to us about your personal journey around what happened to your kiddos? Sure. And, you know, my personal journey is obviously personal to us. But I think even though people don't have the exact same experience, they'll be able to relate. And that's because I started to realize my child was being bullied. Basically, I got smacked over the head when I picked her up from school and she explained to me that she was sorry she was late. The teacher had to keep keep the class afterwards to talk about bullying because someone had created an I hate Hannah club. And my daughter is Hannah. And my kids said this so matter of factly, it was almost strange. I think looking back, it's a tool she used to for self-preservation to not be too emotional about it in the moment. Then I had to look back and realize, oh my gosh, I was hearing about all these other things. Maybe Maybe the pushing wasn't happening to everybody. Maybe it was specifically targeted towards my child. And through that, I started learning a lot. So bullying actually affects 20 to 30% of most kids. Well, actually, it affects everybody in the classroom. We can get into that. But 
20 to 30 percent of kids are targeted. Though I think most adults don't realize this because most kids don't report the bullying, either because they're ashamed or because they're worried that adults won't respond in a way that actually helps them. Um, often kids are told, oh, stop tattling, or oh, you're being too sensitive. Or if we do respond, you know, we, and especially a lot of parents, understandably, are emotional and come in with guns blazing and <laughs> want heads taken, right? Yes. And that, of course, only exacerbates the whole situation. It can also leave the child more, more vulnerable in the future because the child who targeted children probably wants payback, right? And that, that child has a lot of social power, so is able to fulfill upon that. So I had a specific experience uh, where I realized bullying was a problem. Um, and so I started bullying. And then I realized my child was being bullied. So what you actually should probably for a second talk about the definition of bullying, which I had to learn, but it will help guide our conversation. So I studied everything I could. You know, I was a huge dork who read all the books and then Paid, went and read the footnotes and paid twenty nine ninety five to read the medical journals. <laughs> yes, you did. And I love that. there's a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of variety. But basically, when you, you hone it all down and listen to all the different experts, they seem to agree generally that bullying is the act of repeatedly and intentionally causing physical and or emotional harm to another person with less power. And what's often a, a lot of those uh, areas are often forget uh, overlooked, like the emotional. People know that hitting is bad, and people talk about cyberbullying, but there's also verbal taunts and threats uh, can definitely be bullying. And maybe one of the most hurtful but hard to identify is social bullying, you know, exclusion, social humiliation. Um, that kind of demeaning can be devastating. I think another thing that's often overlooked is the power differential. I guess the most common targets of bullying are racial minorities, people in the LGBTQIA communities, people with disabilities, and kids with learning differences, though really anyone deemed different uh, is a target. So because this power differential, it's easier for kids to marginalize and demean and other kids. And in our case, I came to realize that it was because my kid's a bit quirky. My kid loves science and math and has an outsized vocabulary that kids think are weird. I'm putting weird in quotes. And so then I did a lot of research on learning differences and, um, you know, in addition to bullying. And then, of course, all that led to anxiety. Some very serious, like, I'm not leaving the house. I won't eat. I won't drink. Very debilitating anxiety, uh, which I think maybe a lot more people experienced, unfortunately, because of COVID. But anyways, I ended up studying all of those things. And I try and take, rather than, you know, hitting the reader over the head with this is what you should know, I more take the reader on the journey of as I learned, you know, this is what I tried, this didn't work, and this is how I came to this understanding. So it's very raw. It's not a self-help book where it says this is what you should do or this is how you handle the situation. It's very much, you know, in the weeds and in the experience. So it's it's pretty vulnerable. <laughs> in fact, so vulnerable that I almost didn't print it many times. Well, and I mean, I just think of parenting, how it is so... As much as we want a playbook, it really is so unique and each kid is so unique and different. So I personally love your take, your approach in saying like, I I put my heart and my vulnerability out there so other people can learn from what I was going through. I think that's such a beautiful approach because again, as humans, 
we want life a lot of times to be black and white. Well, if that I, I followed the steps and that didn't take me anywhere. So now I'm going to give up. It's like, no, you know, see yourself in, in my in my story. Try a couple different approaches. And if it worked, yay. And if not, you know, come back to this book or you know, I'll be right here to empathize with you and and be alongside you in in figuring out your version of how to that's navigate exactly it. it. I mean, even if I there's not any specific advice you take, you know, when I was on this journey, because these issues that we're talking about that my family dealt with are so highly stigmatized, I really believe that I was all alone in a deep dark hole, and you know, nobody cared and nobody could relate. And then when I got my kids to better footing, I started looking around and realized, oh my gosh, so many other families are dealing with these issues and I can see it now. And they too feel all alone, but they're all right next to each other. (laughs) I mean, right next to each other. I almost called this book Alone Together because I just thought it was so ironic how people are feeling so alone. And (laughs) here we are all going through the same thing. So I wanted to offer this book so that people would know they're not alone. If nothing else, you are not alone. And it's so funny because you can see how we grow up with it. As kids, you said they were very matter of fact, right? Well, this happened and sorry, I'm late. And boom, right? Okay, well, I don't want to talk about it maybe because I don't want to get in trouble or I'm going to feel like somebody's judging me or it's not a big deal. I'll be fine. And we carry that into our then adulthood where we think that, well, I I don't want to talk about it because I'll be judged or maybe I'll get in trouble or no, I'll just be fine. And it's like, wow, we've grown up under the stigma of these things are, are wrong and you shouldn't talk about them because you should be able to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And talking about them, like you said earlier, makes you weak. It makes you stand out. It, it You look like a sore thumb. And it's, it's interesting that even though we're adults and we should, quote unquote, know better, we don't. We still think that if by taking these actions, something is going to happen to us. And realistically, by taking these actions, it's going to allow us to open up to our people and find our people, mm-hmm. almost like we're the lighthouse or somebody is the lighthouse and we're finally able to see the light that they're shining. Completely. I, it, I don't think we realized how much we're taught to conform. It's actually in our DNA with Darwinism, right? Like we are, our brain gets Uh, wired, our amygdala activates when we sense people who are different from us. And that goes way back in time from when we had clans, right? And it was a matter of survival to notice who was like you and who wasn't. So who was more likely to be friendly and who wasn't. But now it's this huge problem where we have this um, embedded need to conform. And it, it is so primal, we don't even realize we're doing it. So our brain reacts to differences before our prefrontal cortex before the thinking part of our brain even recognizes we've done that. So we have such a need to fit in and such a need to conform that it really inhibits our ability to actually see one another, to care for one another. But I think in understanding this, the plus side is that doesn't have to be the end of the story. If we're just aware that our brains rush to judgment and rush to conform conformity, we can actually stop and take a second and say, hey, actually, okay, I'm feeling a little tense here. I'm feeling a little nervous. These people 
seem more likely, they seem calm, that seem safer. Maybe I can rethink this. Maybe I can actually extend an olive branch or some compassion to that mom that's all over there by herself who has a quirky kid who everybody else is shunning. Maybe that's really an interesting, nice, kind person. Maybe I just don't want to go along with the flow and be with the cool moms, again in quotes. Maybe I want to be the kind of person that has empathy for the people who are having a hard time. And I think just in taking that moment before acting, we can really become the people we believe ourselves to be, We want that we want to be and demonstrate the kindness and compassion that we believe is, I know we all believe, like nobody wants to bully others. Nobody <laughs> wants to be cruel to others. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to be a jerk today, right? <laughs> it's not the goal. <laughs> but For 99% of people, it's not. <laughs> You're absolutely yeah. right. And we'll, the, we'll give them the benefit will, of the doubt, right? the fact that that happens is is so subconscious, right? It's, it's in a yes. level that we don't even think about, which is so interesting because I, I like to see this as Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We want to be at the pinnacle yeah. where we're, we have empathy and we can have compassion for others. And we are like, oh, my God, I see a look on that woman's face. I should probably go ask her if she's OK and just let her know that I have a space. But at the bottom of that pyramid is the foundational levels of, of skills that we're desperately missing as a society in terms of having the awareness that we're even missing these skills. Mm-hmm. Because Jill and I, I mean, we've been involved in personal growth and development for the better part of a decade plus. So the skills are pretty innate in us. And I would say they're innate to like 10%. We still have a long way to go in order to really feel like we've mastered our own emotions and our own self-awareness. And we're engulfed in a community of people doing the same. But when we zoom out, that community is actually really small. So I I just want to preface that statement with, God, that would be awesome. And it's going to take a lot of practice. So if you're on the other end of this conversation and you're like, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It's going to be like you're trying to, I don't know, create a New Year's resolution for yourself. And you're probably not going to want to stick to it because it's going to be hard looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing where you failed yourself and where you faltered along the way makes you want to sit down on yourself. But again, what was just said is it doesn't have to be that way. We can persevere through those feelings of not enoughness or comparisonitis and get to the best version of ourselves so we can be the best version for everyone else in our lives. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's actually, if you think about it, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of power, taking control over your life and who you want to be. And by the way, you said all these behaviors are now innate in you. I envy you because I think I am going to be counteracting my training for the rest of my life. I'm, you know, I've spent the the good part of the past decade learning about all this stuff and writing a book about these issues. And I still catch myself sometimes, uh, maybe more than sometimes, doing things that I don't want to be doing. (laughs) Or actually, I, I catch myself, but thinking someone is weird or strange, right? Instead of just stopping and saying, oh, wait, no, that person's different. How cool is that? Let me learn more about that. But I, I'm still training myself to do oh, that, if I'm going to be honest. Don't, well. don't worry. I'm still my own worst enemy. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely, my name is Mary, but I am not Mary Poppins. I am definitely not practically <laughs> perfect in every way. Um, I think it's really cool to be able to zoom out. And while you were saying what you were saying about the amygdala, my thought process was, I wonder if my amygdala is kind of broken because I am different in that way in terms of 
being outspoken. I've always gone against the grain. I've always gone up to the person and asked a question when everybody else avoided it. However, I definitely still have those thoughts and I judge people and I judge myself and I love catching myself Mm -hmm. in those moments because it's a light bulb for me. It's the canary in the coal mine. It, Mm -hmm. it literally is something where I'm like, why did you think that? And you, you, what, right? You unpeel the onion. You're like, well, why did I think that? Where did that thought come from? Can I weed that thought out of my brain so I don't ever think it again because that would be cool. <laughs> and then you you continue to go down the rabbit hole and I don't think we ask ourselves enough the question why, right? It just is what it is. It's ingrained in us to be that way and we go about our day and those beliefs and thoughts then build on themselves and create the stereotypes and the things, the, the stigmas that we have around other people because we didn't actually question that thought to begin with. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that this work gives you power. Mm -hmm. Like when you practice it, it gives you like you, you're buying back your power from allowing yourself to fit in or conform or, you know what I mean? Kind of just do what other people want you to do to be liked. And we've learned that time and time again and and it's practice. But I'm telling you, I just had a conversation with a mom at a skate park. I took my kids to a skate park and I was talking to her and she was like, I really think you guys need to come talk to these dance moms. Like my daughter, these dance moms are wild and crazy. And I just empowered her in that moment that she can be the change in that dance company. Like you, like having the awareness and you being like the kindest, most compassionate, mom in that studio can totally start a ripple effect versus like Mary and I coming in and being the savior. I'm like, we're not the savior (laughs) by any means. (laughs) How do we empower more people through conversations like this to give them the power to show up better for themselves and others? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Mary, I'd like to go back to one point. You were talking about your amygdala being broken. <laughs> uh, I would say it not is not. not broken. You are not broken. There actually studies have shown. So I, one of the things I studied was empathy and compassion. And they're actually what's interesting. The word empathy didn't exist um, until like the 1920s. And then um, there wasn't a lot of studying in the area until uh, after World War Two, when a lot of the people who were kids um, during the time of the Holocaust, just couldn't understand how others could stand by and watch that happen. Because, of course, every single one of us believes that if we were there at that time, we never would have looked the other way. But if you look, most people did look the other way. But there are people who studied the people who didn't look away, the people who helped others in need, even at risk to themselves. And one of the, uh, there were several common conditions, but one of the common conditions was, they didn't use this word exactly, but the amygdala perhaps um, doesn't activate as much. So they don't get as anxious stepping out in a line. And um, I think another common thread, if I'm remembering correctly, I'm, I'm remembering back on my research from a while ago, but is people who are compassionate towards each other tend to really value community. They realize if they are just looking out for themselves in their own time and need, they will be in trouble. Um, They're also often raised by families and parents who really role modeled respect for others, including respect for kids. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, we were all raised in a generation, I think I'm older than you guys, but I'm guessing you're still quite familiar with the authoritarian parent, you know, (laughs) kids should be seen and not heard and do what I say. And the goal is to behave and not um, really about respecting 
peers, but also respecting kids' needs. And so um, those are some common traits among people uh, who really did demonstrate compassion in one of our world's biggest disasters. So I just want to go back, Jill, you're not broken, <laughs> you re- but your brain really might be wired a little differently. And that's, uh, I think, cool. I don't know, this is a little off um, topic, but I don't know if it, either of you saw Free Solo. Yeah. It's about a man who climbed Half Dome in Yosemite without ropes. Yeah. They did, you'll see in the film, they did scans of his brain and it showed that his brain, his amygdala, uh, his the limbic system was less active. And in that case, I might say dangerously so. Um, <laughs> yeah, you won't see me I, I'm guessing you're not about to climb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. I can't even go camping yeah. outside in the woods, let alone go and try that. No way. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, and it, it makes me wonder, too, because, I mean, my childhood, you you mentioned authoritarian parents. And yes, it was there was a lot of trauma in my childhood. So it makes me wonder um, if not if, I know it had a role, it played a role, just how much of a role that the trauma that I experienced as a child, how much it impacted my amygdala and made it want to act different from what I had seen or experienced growing up. So you just reminded me of the one other point I wanted to make, which was experience definitely affects people's ability to be compassionate, but it, it can go either way. So I noticed in our personal journey that the people who really did not look the way who supported us unfortunately had horrible things happen to them. You know, sexual assault, gross discrimination, uh, some really, really bad things happen. But because those things happened, I think they built their empathy muscles and they understood how important it was, how much they needed someone to reach out to them and care in their time of need and how they really felt they want to live in a world where that happens so they did it themselves. At the same time, there are also some people in my community who I know horrible things had happened to. You know, for example, they lost a parent early in life or they also had one of those, uh, you know, awful assaults happen to them. And what the science shows is that um, it can go one of two ways. You know, really bad experiences can make people uh, want more compassion in the world. It can also trigger people. So if they're reminded of their own pain too much and they can't touch it, then they it will be easier to look away from other people's pain because you just can't handle the activation of your own. So I, again, I think, you know, I don't want to leave this all up to the like the whims of the past because I think even if you feel deeply uncomfortable based on your past experience, I think if you can identify that that's what's happening, we all can have autonomy in our lives and we can be compassionate and there are tools and and um, classes actually that even teach compassion but i think it first step is to help identify how you're feeling in the moment are you wanting to shut down and walk away or are you disgusted by that person who can't handle their own pain and are speaking up and you just think they're weak and pathetic or um, maybe you're bleeding heart and you care too much and it's just too hard and you've got too much going on in your own life. But if you can kind of feel where you are, um, then you can find constructive ways to be supportive of others. That is so beautiful. I love how many examples you gave in that share. That was really beautiful because I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Like you could be the kindest person, but it could actually go against you. Mm-hmm. You know, or like you said, you shut down. There's so many different ways that we feel. Um, and just to be aware of that, we now like that, that again, I'm just going to go back to your word power. Like that's so powerful, um, especially as parents, because 
if you shut down in conflict or don't allow yourself to feel, most likely are you projecting those cycles or those patterns onto your children? And that's where we want to stop the the generational cycle from happening by saying like, you know, I want to ask you now the question, being a mom, like what's the best advice that you would give parents around practicing this work, knowing the work and the research that you've done? Like what advice do you have for parents around taking care of themselves first, but to really start to embrace that their child is unique and different from everybody else? Right. I mean, I think I think you said it right there. I think there's so much judgment in this world, and I think we're often the harshest critics of ourselves. So if we can just stop and have compassion for ourselves, and if we're judging ourselves, to try and be patient with ourselves. If you're really upset, there's probably a really good reason you're really upset, and that's okay. But you know, the goal would be to do the work to understand why you're upset, so that you can work through that and be more the person you are. I would say. You know, along those lines, once you do that, then you can support others. And this whole idea of judgment really infiltrates our society. I mean, just go sit in a coffee shop and over, like, just listen to the teenagers talking about, you know, their peers. I mean, the number of times you'll hear them say weird or strange or all of that. And by the way, they've probably learned that from us. Right. <laughs> they've learned that. Yeah. <laughs> from us, in, right? in, by way of us in, in front of them, by way of us having side conversations, by way of us, what we watch on TV, the music that we listen all to, it. all of it. Right. So I think one of the things I try and think about is just how I behave, but also just generally this idea of being patient and kind to one another and ourselves. You know, there's a lot of talk about um, tolerance, uh, and the assumption is that tolerance is good. But do we really just want to tolerate one, one another? I mean, is, is that really the goal? <laughs> or do we want to appreciate and celebrate one another and be present for one another? Um, for me, tolerance is a bit cold. And and yeah, I guess it's it, not, I guess. It's definitely better than intolerance and hate for sure. But I think there's something much deeper and richer beyond tolerance, and that is appreciation of the wide variety of your humanity. I mean, that's where things get exciting. That's where, you know, beauty starts popping and quirky things start happening and where the magic is, I think. I and want to live in that world. If we can just, <laughs> yes. yeah, move our perspective to, you know, um, you know, not these fake rainbows and unicorns we paint on things when we like I said, we shellac things and make things look perfect. But like the real rainbows that pop out when your kid says the quirkiest thing that you right. never thought of before, right? Um, I mean, how fun is that? And if we could just do that for one another as well and not stuff that kid back in the box, like, okay, that was funny, but don't say that at school. Someone will think you're <laughs> Someone weird. Someone will think you're right? weird. Right. It's like for yeah. us in SMART goals, right? The acronym SMART, the R stands for realistic. And it's like, who among us wants to be realistic? So we're we're realistic and we're tolerant and it's like all of these quote unquote safe words because we need we need to put people in a box. We're right back to the the beginning of our conversation in terms of not allowing people the free expression of who they who they really are and allowing them to explore that and let it lead them to who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to make up a, a patch of the patchwork quilt that we all are. Right. I think I'd add to this, you know, you're asking about lessons learned and based on what you just said. I know you do a lot of, um, I'm sure, growth mindsets and strength based everything. Right. 
Um, so there's a lot of talk about strength-based learning and strengths in schools. But I, I, what I have found is the systems actually don't support that. They actually, in reality, are, you know, we're, we have standardized tests and we're putting kids on bell-shaped curves and all that. And by the way, what we're measuring is a very arbitrary set of what we think is acceptable. It's not, it doesn't even begin to reflect the wide variety of just our differences in our humanity, kind of like we were suggesting before, creativity, originality, um, none of that is measured. And I can name a lot of other things. Grit, like no one studies, you know, measures grit <laughs> in school. Angela Duckworth but is turns... not in schools oh, yes. measuring grit. <laughs> yeah. We agree. Yeah. Oh, it's such a yeah. good point and something we talk about a lot. We're like, are we going to be lobbyists at some point to lobby for a new curriculum to be in school? Because this one isn't cutting it. Like we get it and yeah. it hasn't. Yeah. It hasn't come up to where we are today. It hasn't caught up. Um, there's there's so much more in 2023 that we need to be equipping our kids with that we're just flat out not. So that that's a really great right. call out. And it's like you're part of our conversations on a near daily basis. Well, I'm sure you know this. So just stop me if I'm saying what you've already discussed. But, you know, our current education system was was developed at the turn of the last century mm -hmm. during the second industrial revolution when Taylorism and standardization was all the rage. And the goal was not to help kids be their best. No. Self. The goal was to standardize everything, to make everything average. So we there have been minor changes at the edges. But if you look at the deep system systemic modes of education, it, it does not honor individuality, which, again, one of the things I've had to learn is so often when my kid doesn't fit something that's expected, I'm often encouraged to remediate that mm. difference. Mm. And so, I mean, I can't tell you how many occupational therapy classes, speech therapy. I mean, I could go on on all the therapies that have been recommended to me um, over the years, given that I have multiple kids. And one thing that it, I took way too long to learn is that I, from the very outset, should have focused on the strength, lean in hard to the strength. Instead of spending all the time after school going to all those different remediations, you know, honor my kids' individuality, their own passion, the one that I had to wait 30 years myself to develop for me, you know, find the things that interest them. And then, then they have a sense of competency and worth and, and then you can maybe introduce things at the margin to help on weaknesses. But I don't know about you, you know, I never performed well for a coach, a teacher, a boss who harped on my weaknesses and focused solely on those <laughs> and basically turned them into my identity, right? And that's what we're doing to kids. You know, when a kid doesn't read the way everybody else does, we pathologize them. We label them as um, disordered or deficient and in fact kind of as we discussed earlier, they're actually very often amazing strengths attached to that specific learning differences. And of course, every kid, every human has beautiful strengths that are worth celebrating and promoting. And I spent way too long listening to the experts about how to help my child. Um, and I needed to come into a place of my own knowing. And you know, we talk about unlearning. Um, and I know the people who are trying to help me they were beautiful. And there is a place for different therapies. There is a place for different supports. All of that. I'm not saying there's not. But I just, I wish I had learned earlier to not prioritize those over my kids' own interests and passions and identity. Oh, I just love that so much. And thank you for sharing that because 
when you're searching for support or help, you do turn to people who are the experts. But there was something in your mama's heart, that intuition that was like, you know what? This still ain't right. Even though we've seen this therapist and tried that recommendation and this, something still isn't right. And then poof, epiphany. You know what? What happens if we actually just started working on his or her strengths as opposed to strengthening their weakness? I think that needs to be broadcasted to more families and teachers and administrators because you're right. It starts to then form their identity. And all kids, all people truly in this lifetime, what we're trying to figure out is who we are so that we know what to stand for. Because if we don't know, that's when things slip through the cracks and bad decisions are made and we do all of the things that I'm sure we regret doing as teenagers and in our 20s and so on and so forth. So I really appreciate that call out to say, what happens if you flipped it and focused on your kiddo's strength and really supported them in that way? So that others then could be like, oh my gosh, you know, for a second I thought that kid was weird, but like, look how cool he is now, or look how cool. It's incredible when we can just breathe so much belief in your child to say that quirk, that uniqueness is so cool that it is your superpower. Other people will see that eventually. Well, and we were talking about art being weird earlier, and it's like, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people thought Vincent van Gogh was a weirdo, and Leonardo da Vinci was a little strange until, boom, I mean, we've got Starry Night. We've got the Sistine Chapel. It's almost like we think they're weird until they make it big. And then we're like, oh, we knew them once. I sat in class with that person and gave them my apple. Uh It's like, okay. So in in and of that, we have to also have an association with they made it. So their weirdness helped them. But think about what you just said, Jill, in terms of being able to flip it and and how many kids might be able to reach their full potential. And it might not be a Sistine Chapel, but it's their Sistine Chapel, right? So I'd like to say it, it might be nothing even close to a Sistine right, Chapel. It, it's but there. at least it's joyous yes. and it's interesting. And, and, you know, the consequence of beating that out of them has serious long-term effects. Uh, you know, what it does to someone's sense of well-being. You know, these kids are the ones that fully capable kids end up dropping out of school. They end up in our criminal system. Mm-hmm. Only a few studies have been done, but it's been shown to believe that half of our prison population is dyslexic. Similar similar statistics are for ADHD. And maybe they were going to be Van Gogh. Maybe they weren't. But surely they had more to offer to society than what they're doing right now in prisons, right? If we had only supported them at the outset, we could have had the benefits of their, you know, wonderful gifts to humanity. Even if it was just a nice person walking down the street right. who makes a beautiful coffee at, and I don't say just like, like the, the nice people that make my day as I move around communities, We've lost a lot of those people because we have demeaned them early and told them they're unworthy and they're now in prisons. Um, You know, I'm sure some kids are really fascinated by trash and that might be, you know, a lot of parents might not think that's a great thing, but think of the amazing thing that someone could do to make the world a better place to deal with all the stuff we discard. So I just like to say that it's it's not that we're just trying to support the little Einsteins. It's that there's so much beauty in all of them and they all deserve the chance to be their best selves. 
The book, y'all, is called Canaries Among Us, um, and we will obviously link it as well as social profiles and whatnot in our show notes. But Kayla, thank you so much because this has been an incredible conversation. We always just kind of let it go where it's going to go, and this one flowed so well, and we know it's going to be so incredibly valuable for the audience that tunes into our work because we share very similar values and what we want from not only the girls that we get to coach and mentor, but as you said, it's a community effort. It doesn't matter if you are, you know, some bajillionaire who's created something that everyone knows or the person who's making coffee because every single person within our society not only matters but has a responsibility to the people around them to be their best selves because if we're all that way, then our society levels themselves up. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Thank you for what happened for you and your family, for you to be able to see the importance in this work and put it out in order to benefit others as well. Well, Jill and Mary, thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful and for all you do to share these ideas, you know, even independently of me, you're doing really important work for all of our kids and and I'm so grateful. And, And I might just add that my website, KaylaTaylorWrites.com, it's writes with an S, has a page of resources. So um, if any of these topics interest you, I have a web page that, that might provide further reading if you're interested. That's incredible. I love a good resource page, especially <laughs> when someone, um, a parent, a new parent who is like, oh my gosh, I heard this. I felt like I was alone. I'm not now. Now what? So I I love that you have created that and guided us to that resource page. And we will make sure to add that to the show notes as well. And Kayla, we appreciate you so, so much. Thank you again. And for the listeners, go out and make somebody's day. This conversation, our hope was to inspire you to take action into this incredible work of personal growth and development. And until next time, everyone, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for tuning in to What's the Lesson? If you're feeling the same I-can-do-anything attitude that we are, here's how you can keep the momentum going. Spread the good vibes. Share this episode with your friends, family, or give us a shout-out on your social media. Fancy a trip to iTunes Town? We're all ears for your ratings and reviews. Seriously, we read each one of them. Your thoughts are like gold to us. Lastly, let's be friends. Hang out with us on social media for more awesome content and behind the scenes action. And until we meet again, remember our golden rule. Turning those WTF moments into WTL moments is a superpower. Practice is always progress. And you've got this.